coming up on the Shark Fighter Podcast. We're really focused on understanding what's happening in those patients that's allowing them to, you know, have, you know, quote unquote remission or dramatic improvement, um, even off therapy. But most patients appear to require ongoing therapy. The Shark Fighter Podcast brings you one of the top researchers in the country. Dr. William Damsky from Yale University will be talking about how an off-label drug has great success in treating sarcoidosis of the skin. And so we do think that it, you know, in theory would work for, um, you know, sarcoidosis of lung and other areas. My interview with Dr. Damsky is coming up. This is the Sark Fighter Podcast, living with sarcoidosis and other rare diseases. Here's your host, John Carlin. Hello and welcome. This is episode 39 of the Sark Fighter podcast. I am your host, John Carlin. This podcast is brought to you in part by a grant from Atire Pharma. I do this podcast because I want to offer my fellow Sark Fighters hope. And I'll tell you quickly, the official Sark Fighter song is called Zombie by Mark Steyer of Alberta, Canada, who plays in a band called the White Hot Lizards, and he has graciously agreed to allow that to be the official song of the Sark Fighter podcast. Hear Mark's story and his battle with sarcoidosis coming up in episode, or back in, excuse me, in episode 12. And I am fighting Sark, so are you, whether you're a caregiver, a patient, or like today's guest, a researcher. It's a place where all of us in the sarcoidosis space can gather. I know so many people with SARC feel like they're alone, and, and I want to let you know there is a reason for hope, and we'll be talking a lot about hope today because we're looking at a drug that is off-label right now but is showing a lot of promise in treating sarcoidosis. Uh, we release this podcast I do every other Monday, and, you know, I say we sometimes because there's a lot of people helping the, me with this behind the scenes in terms of the, the foundation for sarcoidosis research, feeding me information, feeding me guests. And then those of you who are listening who uh, agree and contact me to uh, come in and tell their story. So that's when I say we, that's what I mean. But otherwise, it's it's me. Uh, but I don't like to say I, because I think this is a sort of a collaboration with so many people. But as I'm speaking today, I can tell you that my trusty dog, Dougal, the boxer, is curled up at my feet. And I'm enjoying talking to you about how we can all better cope with this affliction called sarcoidosis. So uh, for me and Dougal and everybody else involved, Welcome. Uh, now, there are a couple bonus episodes I need you to know about. I recently released two bonus episodes, and if you haven't listened, you might enjoy them. One was a town hall hosted by the Foundation for Sarcoidosis Research. They asked me to be the moderator on the topic of prednisone, which most of us know about. In fact, according to their research, 98% of SARC patients have been on prednisone. And so we had a great panel, Dr. Elliot Krauser from FSR Scientific Advisory Board, Jessica Reed, a neurosarc patient for basically decades, and Dr. Sanjay Shukla of Atire Pharma, working on another new drug that's showing promise as an alternative to prednisone. And then there was another bonus episode, and this is big right now, uh, with COVID-19, which vaccine is best for SARC patients? Is there a threat from any of the vaccines? Can the vaccines cause a sarcoidosis flare-up, and FSR uh, invited Dr. Peter Sporn of Northwestern University with their Sarcoidosis Center of Excellence and Dr. Wonder Drake of Vanderbilt, another researcher, to answer those questions. And once again, they asked me to moderate that conversation, and that hour-long seminar is now available as a bonus podcast here. So, those are just things that are sort of ever-present and evergreen, and I thought maybe you needed to know about that. If you're new to the disease and you're trying to figure out, you googled sarcoidosis and somehow you found the podcast and you're trying to figure out what's going on, listen to episode two with Dr. Simon Hart. It's like Sarcoidosis 101 and Dr. Hart from the UK 
answered all the basic questions about sarcoidosis. And then if you're trying to figure out what I'm all about, I shared my story of neurosarcoidosis on my spinal cord back in episode one. And then the most recent release prior to this one is with Leo Casimo, who heads up the Sarcoidosis UK. And so if you're listening in the UK or maybe in Europe and you're looking for answers or support, you should check out episode 38. Really enjoyed talking to Leo. And he actually called the Sark Fighter podcast brilliant. And I love it when people use the word brilliant in association with, with anything that I've done. So that's just very nice. And, and Leo um, it was very gracious. He contacted me and came on and shared the story of Sark UK. But today it's all about hope. Uh, researchers at Yale University have tried a drug called Zeljans to treat patients with sarcoidosis of the skin. And in a couple of cases, in fact, uh, really uh, most of their cases, they saw a remarkable recovery to the point where the patient's symptoms actually totally disappeared. And uh, Zeljans is one of those drugs that you'll see advertised on television. I see it on the Today Show a lot, you know, in morning TV, morning news. A lot of the pharmaceutical companies are pushing their drugs, and Zeljans is one that you hear about. Uh, and there is, uh, there is another uh, name for it that's more uh, clinical in nature, and I'll let the doctor get into that. But you've heard of it as Zeljans, and I'll put a link to it in the show notes. But uh, it's not something that was developed for sarcoidosis, so it's therefore off-label and still in sort of the experimental stage in treating sarcoidosis. But man, it's really, really worked, and they're starting to understand why it worked and how, maybe more the how of how it works. And that's what we talked about a lot in the interview today. So there is some hope. Uh, they don't know yet, but they think maybe that this could work on sarcoidosis and other parts of the body. And Dr. Uh, Damsky is a uh, dermatologist. He's a researcher, so he's a uh, PhD, but he's also an MD. Uh, he treats patients clinically, and so he's one of those great people that can kind of look at this thing from both sides. So he doesn't just see it work in patients, but then he gets under the microscope and looks in the microscope and he figures out um, how it's doing its job. And that's what's really, really fascinating, I think. And, and so we'll be hearing more about that. Um, he, he will, you will hear him say that more research is needed and they'll need more patients to study. And that's where that Foundation for Sarcoidosis Research Patient Registry can be helpful. If you have not signed up for that, you should, uh, no matter what kind of sarcoidosis you have. And who knows, you might be asked maybe to participate in a clinical trial, maybe the one that, uh, that could be coming as a result of Dr. Damsky's research. Uh, there are some risks involved. There are some side effects, and Dr. Damsky will address those in the interview. Uh, but, you know, the thing is, is that even though he's obviously super smart, let's face it, he's at Yale, and he's a doctor and a researcher, he's very good at describing what's going on in the body of a SARC patient in a way that the everyday person can understand it. Um, basically, what we have is a situation in our immune systems where they sense that there is a reason to send all these cellular and molecular defenders to a place in our bodies, our heart, our lungs, uh, you name it, our skin, where there really is no need for it. And the result is these granulomas that then damage the body instead of helping. And that's what an autoimmune response is. And that's what doctors are essentially trying to switch off. And you're going to hear a lot of terms like jack inhibitor, cytokines, T-cells, and all of those can sound kind of scary if you don't have a medical background, but Dr. Damsky will break it all down in layman's terms so it's very understandable. Uh, now, he is just again at the beginning of his clinical research on this. He does have a grant from the NIH, the National Institute for Health, which is huge because there's not a lot of NIH funding in the sarcoidosis space so far. So this is the beginning of maybe the breakthrough for sarcoidosis research. And this just really does look really, really promising. So my interview with Dr. William Damsky of Yale University is coming up.
Hi, I hope you're enjoying the Sark Fighter Podcast. You may be wondering, what can I do to help? How can I be a part of the sarcoidosis solution? It's simple. Make a donation to KISS. Kick in to stop sarcoidosis. 100% of the money goes to the Foundation for Sarcoidosis Research. Look for a link in the show notes of the Sark Fighter Podcast. Welcome back to the Sark Fighter Podcast, and joining me now is Dr. William Dansky, a researcher and a medical doctor at Yale University with uh, some promising news about sarcoidosis today. Doctor, welcome. Thank you. Appreciate you having me on today. So, so this is great. You've been working in uh, the dermatological arena for some time now, uh, and uh, you've, you've had some success, again, with, uh, with a drug that, that is out there, but it's used to treat something else, and you've applied it to sarcoidosis uh, treatment, dermatological or skin uh, sarc. And what, what is it that you are working on? Let's, let's get that out there right away, and then we'll kind of dive into it. Yeah, thanks. So um, we've mostly been working with a class of medication called Janus kinase inhibitors. Um, we can talk a little bit more about what that means. But they're also referred to as JAK inhibitors for short, J-A-K. Uh, and this class of medications has mostly been used for treatment of rheumatoid arthritis, um, which is a different inflammatory condition, which is unrelated to sarcoidosis. But we've um, through thinking about what we know about what causes sarcoidosis, um, we thought that this class of medications might um, have some potential in treatment of sarcoidosis. And so we've been using it in what's called an off-label setting. So we're, we're using it to treat a condition in which it's not FDA approved for. Um, and we've been treating patients with um, sarcoidosis. I'm a dermatologist. And so most of our patients have um, cutaneous or skin involvement by, of their sarcoidosis. Um, and we've had some, you know, anecdotally, some good luck with this. And so um, based on that experience, we've been putting together a more comprehensive research program to understand how the medicines might be working, uh, as well as to more thoroughly evaluate their um, efficacy in this disease. All right. So the name of the drug, uh, there's, a, there's a common name, which is only common because we hear about it on television. And so what is the name of the drug and what's the common name? Yeah, so um, Zelljans is the um, the name that you hear on commercials, and the generic name um, is tofacitinib. Uh, so the names of a lot of these drugs are a bit of a mouthful, um, but that's the medication. That's FDA approved for rheumatoid arthritis. It's been FDA approved for rheumatoid arthritis for a number of years, and there's actually been some more recent um, FDA approvals for other indications outside of rheumatoid arthritis, um, but importantly, not sarcoidosis at this point. So I want to, I'll circle back with you on how this works in your body, but um, I've been been reading uh, about your treatment of a couple of patients and they've had almost what I would call like miracle recovery. So what were you able to achieve with this? Yeah. So, you know, this kind of all started when I was a dermatology resident um, at Yale in New Haven, Connecticut. And um through, um, you know, my experience as a dermatology resident, I started working with another doctor here who's also a dermatologist, his name is Brett King, who had a, a patient that had refractory sarcoidosis. So she had been through a number of uh, treatments that, you know, people with sarcoidosis are familiar with, including prednisone, TNF-alpha inhibitors, methotrexate, hydroxychloroquine, a lot of these medications. And, um, she was primarily um, concerned about her skin involvement. So she had, um, you know, sarcoidosis lesions on her face, on her scalp, um, on other parts of her body, and really just hadn't had a lot of success um, treating these with other agents. And so this was a time um, when this class of medications that we just talked about, Janus kinase inhibitors or JAK inhibitors, and specifically the cell Jans or tofacitinib drug, was being used to treat a variety of inflammatory disorders in the skin, which were recalcitrant to common therapies. And so together, Dr. King and I treated this patient with sarcoidosis, again, off-label with this drug, Zeljans, tofacitinib. And um, really, she just had a, a really dramatic response such that um, where she really had had failed to have any improvement uh, in her skin lesions with these other medications, um, after about six months of Zeljans therapy, um, you know, everything went away. 
And, you know, she was a very gracious patient and, um, you know, we, we really enjoyed working with her. And so, you know, through working closely with her, she was very generous in sort of allowing us to do um, a little bit of investigative work and um, sort of characterize how the medicine might be working. Uh, and the response was so, you know, dramatic and um, her improvement was so good. And we had a little bit of, um, you know, what we call mechanistic data, or how the medicine might be working. Um, we were actually able to publish the results in the New England Journal of Medicine. Uh, and that sort of kickstarted this whole area. Um, right. So let's talk about a her for just a minute. Like it, what was, when, when you get sarcoidosis on your skin, dermatological sarcoidosis, as it were, um, it's more than just annoying. She had a severe case. So if you were looking at this woman, what would you have seen prior to treatment? Yeah, thanks for the question. Yeah. So as dermatologists, obviously we take inflammatory skin disease very seriously and think of it as more of a more than a cosmetic issue. It's something that affects one's overall being. But you know, sarcoidosis, um, for those that have skin involvement, it's not uncommon for it to affect the face um, and the scalp. And so obviously those are very visible areas and it can be um, quite devastating to have involvement of sarcoidosis uh, in those areas. And so, you know, for example, um, she had inflammatory lesions or, or, you know, a skin rash basically um, on her nose, on her cheeks, on her forehead, on her scalp, the scalp involvement led to hair loss or what we call alopecia. Um, and so if you can imagine, you know, sort of walking around like this, people think you're contagious. People think that, um, you know, they're going to catch what you have. They, they just don't understand. And so it makes things like going to work, going to the supermarket, very, very challenging. And so you can imagine the impact that that would have on someone. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and of course, as, as anybody listening to this knows, sarcoidosis, um, can I don't know I don't want, the word spread is wrong but once you have it in one part of your body it's not unusual for it to show up in another part of your body so uh, you, you can go from your skin to your heart to your lungs to your liver to your your in my case spinal cord so I mean you got to get sarcoidosis under control one way or another. Um, and, right. That, that, that's absolutely right. And, you know, the, of course we, you know, we're, we like to treat skin disease, but we think about, you know, any organ that can be involved and we look very closely to make sure there are no other organs involved. Skin sarcoidosis or a specific manifestation of sarcoidosis in the skin happens in probably about a third of patients um, that have sarcoidosis. And occasionally it's the only site of involvement, but usually there's other organs involved. And so, you know, we, we take a very um, comprehensive approach and work closely with pulmonologists and cardiologists and, you know, um, uh, uh, doctors of a variety of disciplines in approaching treatment. Right. So, so this patient that you had and, and, and folks, Dr. Damsky is a, you are a medical doctor, but you're also a PhD. So you're, you're researching as well as treating. And, and that's, uh, that's a rare bird uh, and doing this at Yale. Um, so you had success with this woman. Has, has the success continued over a period of time? Yeah. So, yeah, thanks for that question. So, um, you know, based on, on that experience with the patient, of course, we wanted to share our, our results with, with the medical community. And so we published it, but we also had um, three other patients with refractory cutaneous sarcoidosis, but also involvement of other organs. Um, and based on this experience, um, you know, we had a, a, you know, a comprehensive discussion with patients and we, you know, explained what we were seeing with this one patient and we explained the risks of the medication, which, you know, I'd be happy to talk about. Um, and, um, you know, these three other patients were also willing to undertake treatment and, you know, patients had longstanding disease in some cases, you know, 20 plus years really without, um, you know, adequate control, um, from their point of view and from our point of view. And um, those patients also were treated off-label with this medication, really just had really remarkable responses as well. Um, and so, so how many patients are we talking about now after your initial patient? Yeah, so initial patient and then three additional patients. Okay. Um, and that, at that point, we felt like really we were on to something. So a total of four patients. And at that point, we actually applied for funding um, from, from Pfizer. So Pfizer is the manufacturer of Zelljans. And we, um, you know, shared with them what we we're seeing in these patients. And we, we also shared with them, you know, what a, just a huge need there is for more effective, safer treatments without side effects. And we asked if they'd be willing to support us 
um, in what we call sort of a proof of concept or a small open label trial. So all the patients get the medication um, to treat an additional 10 patients with sarcoidosis. Um, and so that trial has been completed um, and we're in the process of publishing the results. We, we presented some of the data describing those results um, at a dermatology conference, um, but the, the full results have, have yet to be published. And I'd, I'd be happy to share, you know, sort of what we observed during that trial. But so it was those initial four patients that kind of, you know, again, really let us think they were on to something that led to this 10 patient clinical trial. And now, of course, we're thinking beyond that. Okay. Well, that is amazing. So if somebody is listening to this and they have dermatological sarcoidosis, are, are you seeking people to participate in this bigger trial? Yeah. So we're still working out the details and the mechanism support and exactly which, which drug it will be, but it will be a drug in this class of, you know, Jack or Janus kinase inhibitors. Um, but you know, the details aren't evident yet, you know, as you can imagine, um, this requires a lot of buy-in from pharmaceutical companies that make the drug. And so we're, we're working through those details now, but we're optimistic that we'll have something, um, in the next year or so, and at which time we will be looking for participants. Okay. Gotcha. So let's talk about, um, how this works in the body. So it, it, people have heard of Zeljans because they advertise, uh, Pfizer advertises on television. So it's the classic, uh, uh, you know, I, I wasn't doing too well. And then my doctor told me about Zeljans and da, 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 da. And then you see, you know, the woman playing with her daughter or what, I don't, I, don't, I can't remember which commercial it is, but you see it quite often flying a kite. Um, <laughs> And then, and then you hear all the disclaimers about all the potential side effects. We'll get to that in a minute. But what made you think that Zeljans would help SARC patients? What's happening in the body at the cellular level or molecular level that made you as a, as a brilliant researcher say, ah, this might help sarcoidosis? Yeah, thanks for the question. I, I mean, this is really a, a, just a key, a key question. And yeah, we can talk about the, the potential side effects. But, um, you know, sarcoidosis is a disease that um, we believe involves the body's immune system. So your immune system normally protects you from infections from bacteria and viruses and other organisms. And in patients with sarcoidosis, the immune system works just fine. But it, um, we think, um, is fighting an infection that it thinks is there, but is not there. Um, and so um, that is true, not only of sarcoidosis, but a variety of um, autoimmune diseases, which we kind of think of sarcoidosis as. Um, and so, you know, when we got into this, um, and I, you know, we discussed that initial patient, we were, where we looked at this, um, we saw this really dramatic response, we really hit the books at this point, and, um, you know, started looking for different, um, you know, research that had been done in the past that told us about the specific signals or cues or proteins that the body uses to um, fight infection, um, but that are also maybe overexpressed or um, produced at increased levels in sarcoidosis, maybe when they shouldn't be. And we realized that a, a lot of um, uh, the proteins that do this, which are called cytokines. So cytokines are proteins that your body's immune system makes to fight infection, um, but are also important in autoimmune diseases. A lot of these, you know, quote unquote cytokines that the body's immune system was making in sarcoidosis um, use this um, set of instructions that the body has called the JAK-STAT pathway. So it's a, it's a bit of a mouthful. It's an abbreviation. Um, Janus kinase um, is JAK and um, signal transducer and activator of transcription is STAT, but it's basically a set of blueprints. And so the body uses the set of blueprints to respond to these cytokine proteins that the immune system produces. And we noticed that um, a lot of these cytokines that people had described as being um, dysregulated or overexpressed or produce increased levels in sarcoidosis use this set of blueprints. And so the neat part about this class of medications is that it it blocks those blueprints. And so we thought that even if we didn't know, you know, the one most important cytokine or protein that was driving this disease, um, it would in a lot of ways cover a bunch of them that are likely to be involved. And so for that reason, we thought that it was likely that, that this medicine 
could work in this disease. And a lot of our research interest is in really drilling down on trying to find what is the key specific molecule um, or cytokine that the body's targeting. I'll just say really quickly that um, something that, uh, uh, you know, some listeners may be familiar with is something called TNF-alpha. Um, so TNF-alpha is an example of one of these cytokines and it's blocked by meta medications like Remicade, which, you know, it goes by infliximab or Humira, which goes by adalimumab. And, you know, folks probably also are aware that these medications um, are used also off-label to treat sarcoidosis in a variety of settings. And so um, those medications are examples of drugs or medications that block one specific cytokine. This Janus kinase inhibitor um, class of medications blocks a number of cytokines. And so for that reason, we thought in the context of the success we'd had with the medication, it's likely that, um, you know, there, it, it makes sense that it would work. When you explain it that way, it seems like such a no brainer. It, it feels like you've proved it. And I, and I, I know the answer is much more complicated, but it's frustrating to me to hear that it's going to be years before if this works as well as it sounds like it does and is working for obvious reasons by blocking the cytokines, it seems like it ought to just be available and not off label because yeah. now you got to fight with an insurance company who says, well, that's not for sarcoidosis, right? I, for, for instance, when listeners know I take Humira, which is off label. And, um, and I, and I, I did take Remicade until I had issues with liver enzymes uh, but that was working, but Humira is related and it doesn't cause that. So that's, that's why I guess why that's working. So uh, this probably is sounding very familiar to a, to a lot of SARC patients. Um, so, so now you've got um, you, uh, something that's blocking in Zeljans, a bunch of different cytokines. That's fantastic. That's fine. And, and it's, you're working with, um, dermatological, but there's no reason why this wouldn't work for sarcoidosis in other parts of the body, is there? Yeah, that, that's correct. And that, that we think that's correct. That, that's a question we're really interested in addressing through our research. Um, and so most, you know, as a dermatologist, most of our focus has been in skin because that's sort of our, you know, our comfort zone and what we're used to following and evaluating. But um, we have undertaken some research projects to look for these same signals in sarcoidosis in the lung and the lymph nodes. Um, and in that, that signaling pathway does seem to be conserved. And so we, we, we've pub meaning that it's also present in these other areas. And so we do think that it, you know, in theory would work for, um, you know, sarcoidosis of lung and other areas. Um, one of the things that we're evaluating now with our clinical trial is although all of our patients have, you know, involvement in their skin, we've also been following them for how their, um, internal organ involvement, whether it's lungs, whether it's bone, whether it's heart, whether it's, you know, liver or somewhere else following how that does on treatment. And so we hope to, um, you know, have a pretty good sense of at least, you know, in a small 10 patients or proof of concept study that, there does seem to be some activity, meaning that um, Zeljans is effective in treating skin as well as internal organs. But it, it's really sort of a key question for us: um, is um, you know how does the skin do, but how does how do, how do other areas do? And one of the reports that we have um, published already, um, which is just a case report, meaning it's a single patient, um, and it's sort of just an observation: the patient was treated with Zeljans, and this is what we saw. Um, you know, she had sarcoidosis for greater than 25 years and she had it in her skin and her lungs and her bone, um, in all areas seemed to respond. And so, you know, medicine isn't based on a, you know, a single patient, but certainly it's optimistic news. And so we hope to really understand or understand that more fully, um, as we move forward. Well, you know, this, this, I mean, I don't want to use the word cure because, you know, there's, I don't think we're ever going to be able to use the word cure and sarcoidosis in the same sentence, but certainly effective treatment has got to be, uh, this, this sounds so promising. It's got, it's, it's wonderful. Yeah. You know, you, you do raise an important point of cure versus treatment. And so, um, it, it's one, it's a question that we don't have an answer to. Um, but I, I should say that we think of this as a treatment as opposed to a cure. And so, again, we're working with a small number of patients. And so our experience really is more anecdotal. It's not really a you know, controlled clinical trial. Um, but we, we have seen that in most patients, when they 
stop the medication, the sarcoidosis seems to come back. So we're, we're, we're thinking of this as more of a treatment. You know, as, as some you know, of your listeners may know, um, occasionally, um, although not as commonly as we'd like, you know, sarcoidosis can sort of, you know, go away on its own over time or, or spontaneously regress. Um, and so, you know, for that reason, we're again, this is one of our really, um, really main focuses in terms of um, research is how does treatment with, you know, Zeljans or some other medicine in this class fundamentally alter the body's immune response in this setting. And so is there any reason to think that sarcoidosis could alter, or I mean, that this treatment could alter the natural history of this disease? In most patients, it does not seem to, um, but we've had a couple um, patients that have been able to come off treatment uh, and remain better even off treatment. And so we're, we're really focused on understanding what's happening in those patients that's allowing them to, you know, have, you know, quote unquote remission or, dramatic improvement, um, even off therapy, but most patients appear to require ongoing therapy. So let's talk about the side effects. Then, uh, if you take Zeljans for, for too long, can there be other problems that are greater than sarcoidosis? Yeah. So, I mean, that when, whenever any patient with sarcoidosis or with other, you know, dermatologic disease um, is thinking about taking this medication. It's usually in the setting of having something that just really profoundly alters their life in a negative way. Um, And they've usually failed a number of other treatments. And so, you know, that's one side. The other side is, as you mentioned, you know, we don't want to cause something that's worse than disease. So, you know, it's really, we've been approaching this on a case by case basis Every patient's different, you know, patient's motivations for treatment are different. It's just, it's, it's a very um, personal decision. Uh, and, and so really we outline um, what is known about the, the safety of this class of medications um, and the potential benefit um, of, of taking them. And so the, the main um, side effects or potential adverse effects that we tell patients about um, really are similar to um, a lot of medications that sarcoidosis patients are treated with, you know, prednisone, TNF-alpha inhibitors, methotrexate. Um, the, the nice difference between um, Zeljans or this class of medications and prednisone, which a lot of patients probably know well, um, is that it, it doesn't have a lot of the metabolic side effects. Um, so, you know, diabetes, hypertension, um, I mean, you know, patients really know these potential side effects. Well, prednisone sort of in a unique class by itself and has this whole other suite of, you know, osteoporosis ulcers of, of, of potential side effects. This medication tends not to have those side effects, but it, but it does have potentially, um, you know, significant, um, adverse effects which include infection. Um, and so methotrexate, TNF alpha blockers, um, this medicine, um, you know, infection is always a concern. And so our, our patients are screened for tuberculosis and hepatitis before we start the medication. If they are to get sick nowadays, particularly relevant with COVID, you know, they stop the medication and, and they wait till they recover before they start it. In contrast to biologic medications like Humira, um, which are injected, this is a pill that's taken by mouth. And so what's called the half-life of the medicine or the, the amount of time the medicine is active is relatively short. And so um, one of sort of the parts that we like about it is that if you were to stop taking the medication, for example, you get the flu, you know, God forbid you get COVID, you stop the medication and the effect is gone within a day. Whereas, you know, biologics are sort of on, um, on board for a long time, the injected medications, but certainly infections a concern. And with this particular class of medications, it seems to um, have a, an especially increased risk of shingles um, and herpes mm. reactivation. Um, but in most patients, isn't really a, a major issue. So that's the infection piece. Um, I think the main issue that needs to be worked out with this class of medications is what we call um, hypercoagulability or the propensity to form a blood clot. Um, data looking back at Zeljans as well as other medications in this class suggests that very, very rarely, like really very rarely, but a real risk, patients may develop a blood clot, which could have serious consequences. We don't understand why some patients develop that, um, but it's something we talk carefully about with patients. And so if they have a history of 
Um, for example, smoking, which also predisposes you to blood clots, may not be a good candidate. If they have a history of a blood clot, may not be a good candidate. Um, and so, so that's a, a consideration. Um, you know, those are probably the, the, the main things we talk to about patients. We talk with patients about before we start the medication. Like any medication, there's a variety of sort of really, really rare side effects um, that, you know, may not be significant necessarily um, that we also cover with them. Right. So it's, it's really a discussion of risk benefit. So, so you've going back to your, your research to date, you've, you published in the New England Journal of Medicine. Congratulations. I know that's a huge, big deal. And so now it's out there, but it, for, for people who are listening, who are going to medical centers all over the United States are, is the medical community largely aware of your success or is it just sort of seeping out and doctors here and there know about it? I think probably more the latter at this point in time, um, but we have presented our research at a, a number of, you know, international medical conferences. So we try to get out the word in that way. We have about six publications in this area. Um, so we've tried to get the word out that way. And that also helps, you know, just practically with insurance coverage. If a doctor is trying to get you this medicine off label, if you're a candidate for it, you can, you know, put these references in there and, and have some hope of potentially getting it covered. Um, we have a paper under consideration now, which is um, at a very good journal, and it's um, one that's describing the results of our 10-patient open-label clinical trial. So our hope is that that will ultimately be accepted in a journal where it will be, you know, widely visible to the medical community. And, and um, you know, we hope at that point, um, you know, it, it will um, it will get attention. Um, but you know, ultimately, um, you know, a, a lot of doctors, and you know, I this is not right or wrong, but, um, you know, if it's not FDA approved, um, for the indication, um, it may not necessarily be used. And so our goal is if, you know, this general approach continues to, to, um, be as promising as we think it is to design those pivotal studies, which will, um, you know, allow the FDA to evaluate whether or not, um, there's efficacy sufficient for, um, approval. So that's really our goal. Gotcha. So now you've got uh, an NIH grant. So you've obviously gotten the attention of some, some, some people who can really help you make a difference. So um, congratulations on that. So it's, uh, it's about what, $750,000? Yeah. So it's, yeah, it's a five-year grant. It's what's called a, a K08 grant. That's the technical term for it. It's um, a, a career development grant. So um, the NIH is basically giving me money to, um, you know, further develop my expertise in this area, further develop the concept and, you know, further develop the, the approach um, that we'd be using. And so um, a, a lot of the money from that, gr that grant will be using to um, look at, um, you know, samples from patients um, that were graciously provided that, that participated in our clinical trial to really under try to understand um, how is the medicine working, if it works better in some patients than others, why is that? Um, and so we hope to really take a deep dive into sort of what we call the immunology of sarcoidosis in the setting of this treatment and, and understand how it's working. So what is your timeline on that? I assume you're at the very beginning or you're, or you're just trying to figure out how to start or where to start or what happens next. Yeah. So, um, it's, it's, yeah, it's a really good question. So, um, you know, doing experiments, um, with the latest technologies, um, is really, really expensive. Um, it's just really, really expensive and, and the money has to come from somewhere and usually it comes from grants. Um, and so we've been able to use some fairly sophisticated methods um, of just really understanding sarcoidosis at a level that um, it just hasn't been evaluated before using these newer techniques. And we've done that with a small number of patients, a lot of whom participated in our clinical trial. And as I mentioned, we're in the process of sharing not only our efficacy data, so how well does Zeljans work in this population, but also how we think it's working. So that's, that's something that's sort of um, been done on a limited scale. And we have a hypothesis. We have an idea of how it's working. Really what that the NIH grant will allow us to do is to really spread our wings and evaluate this across, 
you know, a large number of patients with sarcoidosis and, 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 you know, think about, you know, how, and in what proportion of patients are these signals shared um, and what proportion of patients would we predict that this medication would work? How do we think it's working? So it really will allow us to sort of, you know, open up and just study a larger number of patients. This just sounds so promising. It, I mean, just the way that it works and the fact that it will block a bunch of proteins instead of just maybe one protein. Um, do you think we're close to figuring out what causes sarcoidosis? Can you sort of back it out from where you are and say, ah, well, if this is happening, this is what's causing it. And then even get back to, to whatever the trigger is for sarcoidosis? Yeah, gosh, yeah, it's it's such a good question, and I and I hope my answer will um, in in some way answer it. But you know, the why question is is always the hardest one for us to answer, and it's always the one that patients want to know. And if I you know if I had sarcoidosis, I would want to know why too. Um, it's it's really really hard to answer. But the 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 general paradigm under which we put sarcoidosis, other autoimmune diseases, is that it's a a combination of your genetics, so your DNA, the genes that you inherited from your parents, there may be some tendency to develop sarcoidosis. So that's one part. Your environment, so people have described different things in the environment that may trigger sarcoidosis. You know, it's, you're, you're probably aware folks that responded to 9-11, uh, you know, unfortunately have experienced a sarcoidosis-like illness. So there's clearly something in the environment that can drive it. Um, and probably the last part of it really is, is, is bad luck. Um, uh, you know, it, not to sound, you know, whatever crass or, or whatever, but it really, um, there's something we don't understand about why it happens in certain people and not others. And the, really the, from a genetic standpoint, the, the, um, the example that we commonly use is identical twins. So they have the same DNA. They're often in the same environment, at least early in life. And sometimes one develops the disease and the other doesn't. And so it really suggests that there's something random or stochastic or luck-based about it. Um, but we, we, we are interested in sort of answering that why question, but I, I don't really have a great satisfying answer at this point in time. But what we, we do, um, but what we, at least in terms of treatment, what we really are interested in understanding is sort of the how part of things. So why is hard, how we can answer. So all the techniques that we use in the lab help us answer the how question. So what specific proteins, what specific cytokines, how is therapy altering those cytokines um, to, to, to lead to this, you know, ultimate manifestation of sarcoidosis. And so that's the, in the short term, that's the question we hope to answer as a very practical, you know, matter of fact, we're treating it. We think we're hitting this, this is why it's working or not working. The how question is, is tough, but one we're really, really interested in, but the, 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 you know, insight may be longer uh, in terms of timescale. I've interviewed a number of people and actually include myself in this category um, who had a small rash, say, around their ankles that kind of looked like bug bites. And that, in hindsight, turns out to have been the onset of sarcoidosis, which showed up someplace else in the body. Um, is, is, can you explain that? Is that why would it start out with a, a rash around someone's ankles and then wind up in their spinal cord or their lungs or their heart? Yeah, it, it's a, yeah, it's a really fascinating question. Um, I, I don't have a, I don't know. And I think medicine as a field doesn't know, but I, I think that it's, there is some evidence to suggest that there is some environmental thing, whether it's a bug bite, whether it's a medication, whether it's, you know, breathing something in, something seems to set the wheels in motion on this process. And whether that's the same for every patient, whether it's different for every patient um, really isn't particularly well understood. Right. Um, but there's, you know, something happens to set this off, either it's an environmental exposure or it's just, you know, things happening in the body. It's that, it's that moment when that, you know, quote unquote, bad luck happens and something triggers this response. Yeah. And, and so, and sometimes it, I, I can't figure out, and again, I'm asking you a why question. So yeah, the why questions are the most interesting. Oh, yeah. Yeah, but, you know, but why would it show up on your face as opposed to in your lungs? Like, yeah. why, you know, yeah. if it's going to show up, why doesn't it always show up in the same place? 
Yeah, really great question. And, you know, as dermatologists, this is a question that we just, is so fascinating, but we just don't have answers for. So some rations like sarcoidosis, they have a propensity for the face. You know, other rashes like psoriasis have a propensity for your elbows and knees. Really why that is, is very, very poorly understood. It may relate to um, a number of things, like for example, what types of bacteria, which are normal on everybody live on that part of the skin or what the temperature of the skin is or whether there's trauma there um, or, you know, minor trauma or, you know, just flexing or not. Um, it's really, it's really not well understood. Um, I, yeah, I wish we had, um, uh, a reason to explain it, but from, for, for your point about why skin versus lungs versus heart versus somewhere else, um, we study a different, um, disorder in the skin called granuloma annulare. So again, all these terms are, are just a real mouthful, but um, the reason that I mention it is that granuloma annulare can look a lot like sarcoidosis on the skin. It looks different when we biopsy under the microscope, but under the skin, it looks the same, but granuloma annulare never involves the internal organs, like literally it just never involves the internal organs, whereas we know sarcoidosis commonly involves the internal organs. So we think that, um, that condition granuloma annulare versus sarcoidosis may involve, um, a different type of T cell. Um, so T cells are part of your immune system and they're, they're kind of the boss or the generals. If you think of your immune system as an army, they tell everybody where to go and what to do. Um, they recognize invaders like bac bacteria and viruses, and they just, they tell everybody where the enemy is and what to do and, and they help out themselves. Our hypothesis is that it's a different kind of T cell, um, one that can go into the skin as well as other organs that's important in sarcoidosis, whereas this other condition, granuloma annulare, is more a problem of T cells that just live in the skin. Um, but really, the details of that um, remain to be you know, fully worked out. But that's our, that's our idea. You could spend 50 years on this and be successful and never have all the answers. It's true. <laughs> it's true. Right? It's true. It's true. Um, it's true. But it, you know, it, it's um, it's fascinating to think about, and it's it, and it's practically important because we think that it will help us treat our patients better, which is the ultimate goal. Um, but but you're right. You know, science tends to progress in you know a lot of very small steps. Sometimes there's contradicting results, and you take a step back. Um, but that base of knowledge um, in the right setting really can lead to a, a giant leap forward. And so, um, you know, the goal is to just, you know, really be diligent in accumulating as much data as you can, even at small intervals and improvement, just to, whether it's, you know, our group or whether it's a, a group on the other side of the world to have that data there to just really allow that um, transformative advance. And we we're speaking here in June of 2021 and who knows you know, somebody maybe two years from now listening to what what will then be a back episode of this. But um, so you are in the formative stages, uh, the foundation for sarcoidosis research. I know one of the things they do is help recruit patients. Um, so you'll be you will be seeking people with SARC on their skin to participate in your trial at some point, right? That's correct. Yeah. You know, FSR is, is really just amazing. And it's been so great to interact with, with, with the folks there. And, you know, even with the, the clinical trial that we just completed, they were very helpful in, um, you know, using the patient registry, which is it's just really a, a phenomenal resource to help us find patients to participate in our study, the, the past study. Um, once we have the, the details worked out, which hopefully will be sometime soon for the um, follow-up larger study, um, yes, we also will be seeking patients and certainly patients with skin involvement um, will be um, folks that we're interested in, in enrolling. Um, we hope to also be able to expand it out to folks without skin involvement as well. Um, but that, 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 um, that remains to be determined. And, you know, uh, it just, you know, when I got into this, it just seems so simple. You have this drug, you feel like it's working, like, let's just do it. Um, but you know, in a very, you know, cautious and, you know, you know, whatever way, but let's, you know, let's get going here. Um, but it's just from the, you know, pharmaceutical end from, there's just, there's, there's a lot of moving parts and it's just been immensely more complex to put the pieces into place to make this happen than I could have ever expected. That being said, we are, you know, really, really pushing this and we, we hope to make it happen soon.
Well, that's great. And and so you've got support from Pfizer, you've got support from the federal government, you've, you've got FSR in your corner. Of course, you're at Yale, which has, I would assume, an immense amount of resources. So you're the right guy in the right place, it sounds like. Yeah, thanks for, for saying that. Yeah, we're, you know, we're, we're really excited about this. Um, and so, yeah, thank you. All right. Well, we wish you all the best. And of course, you can contact me uh, anytime you want. If you need me to help you reach out to the audience for uh, people who want to participate, or if you want to share the results, we'd love for you to do it here on the Sark Fighter podcast. Sure. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me today and for the offer. It's, yeah, it's been, it's been a lot of fun and um, yeah, we'll, um, we'll, um, you know, once we've, uh, you know, reached the next step, we'll, we'll be sure to let you know. All right. Dr. William Damsky, thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. I feel like a zombie just feeding at stumbling. I am so grateful to be able to bring you people of this quality here on the Sark Fighter podcast. Now, we already have, of course, the wonderful stories from my fellow Sark patients. And now, thanks to the Foundation for Sarcoidosis Research, I have connections to, to people like Dr. Damsky and others coming up soon and some others we've already had on the, on the show. So more people know what's going on and understand how our bodies are reacting to this autoimmune response and, and perhaps the drugs that can help. This is, this is really a whole new field as we look for something other than prednisone to treat sarcoidosis, methotrexate and, and the drugs that, the menu of drugs that all of us have seen our doctors sort of go through and look for the one that works. And so maybe soon all the drugs used to treat sarcoidosis won't be off-label and your doctor will have more choices as they try to find a way to get you in remission with whatever type of sarcoidosis you may be struggling with if you're listening to the Sark Fighter podcast. Now, please don't forget to go back and listen to the bonus episodes on uh, sarcoidosis and COVID-19 and also dealing with prednisone. There, those were rare opportunities to have all the right people in the room at the same time, and you really get solid answers and not just suppositions or uh, other people offering anecdotal information. I mean, that's interesting to listen to, but... But if you really want the, the right answers, you have to get it from the right researchers. And, and in those bonus episodes, you get that. Please send me an email in the show notes. Follow The Sark Fighter on Instagram and Sark Fighter on Facebook. I do appreciate your interest in the Sark Fighter podcast. It helps reach more people and grow the show if you share it on your social media. So please do that. And if you like it, really, just tell one person. Just tell one person, hey, have you heard about the Sark Fighter podcast? They've got all the right stuff on there. And give the show a nice review on whatever uh, app you use to download your podcasts. Thanks again to Dr. William Damsky for joining me here today. Let's hope his research finds continued success. And until next time, keep fighting. Learn to suffer your feet.